Welcome to Louisiana Lefty, a podcast about politics and community in Louisiana, where we make the case that the health of the state requires a strong progressive movement fueled by the critical work of organizing on the ground. Our goal is to empower you to fully engage with this mission right now. This week, I'm joined by Nama Savage, recipient of our first ever Louisiana Organizer of the Month Award for a conversation highlighting the importance of her craft, celebrating the ingenuity and thoughtfulness that have allowed organizers to continue the work during a pandemic, and rightfully elevating them to superhero status. Naima, thanks for joining me on Louisiana Lefty. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, get into uh, how you and I met. And I believe, if I recall correctly, it, it was a, a Fight for 15 table you used to host. Was that every other week? Yeah, Fight for 15 uh, coalition table at the UU Church on Claiborne. Uh, shout out to them for always hosting us and holding us near and dear. Um, yeah, that table, and we were meeting every other week, getting ready for, for strike day. Well, and uh, you collected a really strong group of organizers, I thought, in your coalition table. There, I met some very amazing people there who are doing good work all across our, our city and our state. Yeah, uh, the, the goal always for uh, that table and for that space was to be, you know, um, super diverse and have folks from all areas of organizing, um, you know, obviously Fight for 15 was centered around the economic justice fight and in the labor movement. Um, but, you know, really wanted to make sure that we had people who were doing organizing work in the faith community, uh, doing racial justice, immigration work, um, really just all kinds of organizing work and also just like your regular everyday normal folks. Um, it was super important to, to our table and to making sure our members were supported in their, uh, in their efforts to get the minimum wage raised, to, uni to unionize, um, so yeah. Well, and some of the most powerful moments I thought came when you had uh, the workers themselves, like McDonald's workers, whatever, actually tell their stories about what their struggles were and what their fights with their uh, bosses were, and th those were very powerful moments. And I just want to uh, commend you and the organization for always centering and and putting those uh, voices out front. Yeah, myself and my co-organizer at the time, Ben Zucker, um, you know, really wanted to lean in and focus so much on making sure that their vo voices were at the center and at the forefront. Um, it's probably why it's so hard to get me on things like this because uh, it's, you know, I see organizing as just not, it's not about me. Um, it's not about me and, and my story so much as it is about, you know, centering the voices of the folks who are really the most impacted in, uh, in that Fight for 15 campaign are, are, you know, the folks who were working at McDonald's and rallies and Popeyes and all the places that really are the heartbeat of the city, right? Um, in a city that never sleeps and is 24 hours, um, you know, it was very important to center their voices and their stories and make sure they felt empowered uh, to organize and fight for the change that they wanted to see. Um, and so at, at those tables on the strike line, right, you would never see, hardly ever see me. Uh, I'm like running around making sure logistically everything is okay. But the folks who were speaking, the folks who were really doing the work and carrying, um, carrying those moments were, were the workers. 
uh, yeah. So can you tell me a little more about yourself, though? I know you've just said yeah. that you don't want to put yourself first, but we did just make you uh, organizer of, of the month for Louisiana, which again, yeah. is we're trying to highlight our organizers because uh, as I told you a little earlier on the video chat, um, the premise of this podcast is that organizers are superheroes. So um, right. you, you may not want to accept that title, but we're bestowing it upon you anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can I'll, you take it, I'll take it today. Um, and a little, yeah, a little bit about myself and how I came into organizing. Uh, yeah, my name is Naima Savage. I uh, am an organizer by trade, teacher, trainer, facilitator, mom to a two, almost two-year-old. He'll be two in two weeks. Um, and yeah, the way I came into organizing really um, was as a child. My, I was one of those kids that my mom was waking us up to go to some march to do something in the community every single weekend. Uh, we hated it. We didn't want to go. Um, but that's really was my entry into what organizing was, what it looked like, what my role and what my duty was to my community, um, which I think is really the foundation of what continued to lead me into organizing throughout my um, young adulthood. Uh, I remember one of the biggest and probably most pivotal organizing moments for me was in college. I went to Howard University in D.C. and um, we, some friends of mine uh, and just folks in the student community took action to stay the execution of Troy Davis. And, um, and what that meant was us like figuring out a way to rally, have our voices heard um, in, in a moment where, you know, there wasn't a lot of that going on. There wasn't so much of, um, you know, young black folks pulling up and saying, hey, like this is absolutely wrong. We're putting our foot down um, and we wanna see a change. We wanna see something different. And uh, in that moment, we're standing outside of the White House and we're met with all of these, it's like 40 college students, you know, we're met with these guys on horses, these, these uh, police officers in riot gear, there were vans ready to like take us off to wherever. Um, and, and that was, I, I say that's one of the most pivotal kind of moments for me because I realized that um, even in doing something that is truly just and is truly, and was truly like, right, in that moment and that we felt so passionate about that we would still be met with a particular level of state violence. Um, and it was that was a tough pill to swallow as a, I think I was 19 at the time. Um, and it was, it was my first independent on my own moment of taking action where my mom didn't have to get me up out of the bed and like say, hey, we're gonna go do this thing together as a family. Uh, from there, you know, after I graduated from college, I. Uh, pretty immediately started organizing with the Fight for 15 in, in New Orleans, in Louisiana, um, leaving DC and kind of like packing up to come here, which was a little bit of a, a mental conflict for me of like, I don't want to go to another place and, uh, and be organizing in the community that's like not my home. Um, and, but really, you know, I felt like really embraced by the community here and, and the folks here and just able to like, like really lean in uh, and do that. So I did that for a couple of years, which was really cool. Yeah, you've been um, here for a while now, right? Yeah, I've been here eight years. 
eight okay. years I've been here. Um, so it's been a it's been a long time, and I have some fa I have family ties here to, as well. Um, I'm from North Carolina originally, but I do have family ties in in New Orleans um, as well. And I will say that you know after my time, you know, organizing with Fight for Fifteen, and then transitioning into um, you know doing work with United for Respect and organizing folks who work at Walmart and Amazon. Um, that was another like, you know, big kind of uh, beast to take on. And you're thinking about, you know, the most powerful um, companies that employ the most folks in the South, right? Uh, okay. The most yeah, black Walmart, and brown folks. Walmart's the largest employer or the largest uh, minimum yeah. wage employer in the state? The, so the largest, the largest employer. Yeah, the largest employer. And um, yeah, and then if you think about the regional South, um, still reigns true that Walmart, you know, employs the most people. Amazon's a close second at this point. Um, but, you know, certainly, you know, makes you think about the impact of uh, this multi-billion dollar corporation that um, seemingly insists on keeping workers in poverty. Um, very, very frustrating when you think about it. Lots of my family work at Walmart, lots of my, you know, aunts and uh, cousins and friends work at Walmart. And so, that fight was super personal uh, to me in a lot of ways and thinking about, you know, my own family members who just deserve so much more. Um, and what I saw in those folks, my, my family members, that is, um, was the same that, you know, we should all see in folks who are um, working for poverty wages right now. Like, you know, every single person deserves to be able to go to work. Uh, have dignity and respect in the workplace and come home and be able to provide for their families. Um, and that should not be a negotiable. Um, but for some reason with these corporations, and we know what those reasons are, right? Um, that uh, That is a negotiable and it's something that people have to fight for. And uh, we're getting to the point where enough is enough. And then you connected um, this year with Color of Change Pack, right? Yeah, I worked with Color Change Pack for the election cycle leading up to um, election day and, and through the runoffs here in January. Um, and that was super important to me. Um, it was kind of a drop everything moment, right? I, you know, told, was saying to my partner before I made the decision to, to um, start working with Color Change that I, um, I would not be able to sit well with myself if I didn't do everything that I could this election cycle to completely shift where we were politically um, in the country. And especially as a Black person, as a Black woman, uh, feeling like that, you know, as an organizer as well, that there were, there are, were places that I felt like I really wanted to lean in and would be able to lean in and make an impact. And, um, and so we took that leap and did a lot of really cool and interesting work with Color Change Pack and so grateful uh, for that experience to be able to um, really turn this election on its head and then some subsequent runoffs on their head as well, right? Some, some runoffs that weren't anticipated to be won, um, that weren't looking like they were gonna be wins in the polls, right? But really just mobilizing black voters um, and having black voters mobilize their family and friends, right? So that there were, there was truly a movement to the polls and you can see in the results, you can see in the in the kind of like exit poll results and just in the narrative and the story that like black people showed up and black people and black women in particular did the organizing, registered the voters, called the people, gave thousands and thousands of rides to the polls to make this happen. 
and nobody can take that away. And you can say that it was something else, but you'd be wrong. That's, I hear you. I'm glad you said it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, and I, we were talking before the podcast about an event you did here that you put together here in um, New Orleans uh, for Jason Williams, the new uh, district attorney here that yeah. I was just hugely impressed by because of the uh, way you organized it that in a pandemic was I felt as someone uh, who is social distancing and taking all the precautions that I possibly can, yeah. I felt so safe there. I felt really protected and um, and that you were modeling good pandemic behavior. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that you felt like that level of safe. Um, I did too, as a, you know, as I'll first say that as a mom of a little one, but also, you know, I have in-laws who are elderly. Um, it was, that was the most people I have ever seen since March, you know? So I also was a little bit like, oh my gosh, I don't know about this. Look at all these humans. Um, but I, I will say that the team at Color Change Pack really worked really hard to ensure that that was a safe event. That meant you know, folks were going to just hang out in their cars and watch this bounce concert. We had a DJ. We had Big Frida pull up. Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful event. We had grab and go meals from some really dope um, uh, food truck vendors. And vegan. so I could get vegan food there. That was amazing. Yeah, shout out to Original Thoughts. So good. Um, so yeah, it was very important to us that if we want to like really move and turn out and touch black voters, make sure folks knew where they where their polling location was, knew when the runoff was, right? All of these things, knew knew how to vote, how to get there. Um, it was really, really important that that was a safe event, right? Like we've seen the impact that COVID-19 has had on black and brown communities in this country, again, for a lot of reasons, um, systematic racism being at the forefront of that. Um, it was so very important to make sure folks had masks, had access to hand sanitizer. So literally as people were driving into the lot, we we're handing them bags of pre-packed um, PPE, including masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, all of the things. Um, and that was super critical um, in that moment, just to be sure that people were safe, but also could have a good time um, and to engage black voters in New Orleans. Um, if I had wanted to, I could have stayed in my car for the whole thing because yeah. you had people who would actually bring you food from the food trucks. So you could just yeah. eat in your car and enjoy the concert from there. But um, yeah, people did get a little excited when Big Frida came out. So, uh, <laughs> so that was uh, that was very exciting. And, and look, for me, the first time seeing live music in a year, right, was, yeah. a, was a big deal you know it was a moment it was a moment especially for people in new orleans you know we're used to live music all of the time around the clock and so uh to be able to provide that moment too for folks was certainly uh fulfilling again just like being sure that our volunteers were trained and felt supported of like you know we're gonna change our gloves every time like we contact a person or hand somebody something like we change those gloves utilize hand sanitizer. All of our volunteers had like 20 bottles of hand sanitizer in their pockets. Um, yes. So that, that's, that level of safety is crucial. Now it's going to be crucial for a while. Yes. Um, and so that anytime we're doing work on the ground, we want to be sure and ensure that our, our events are safe and that Black people are protected in more ways than one. Well, and you even had people, uh, like I said, when some of us uh, exited our cars to go up 
to see victory. You, know, you had people there trained to say, you know, ready people out. <laughs> Gotta be six feet apart. Because you know, you sort of forget yourself in the moment a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was it, anyway. I felt very safe there, and I think that's, um, you know, I had wanted to start the organizer of the month awards a year ago, really, right around the beginning of the pandemic. And, and my question then was like, well, how are we going to organize? And um, I've been amazed at the um, ingenuity of people and just the creativity of organizers and figuring out how to organize online, how to organize at events like yours, how to actually knock doors yeah. um, in a safe way. It's just in something didn't happen overnight, but it's something people did figure out um, yeah. how to handle. And um, so I've been really impressed. And again, that's why I really just wanted in, in this moment to start, you know, presenting awards to folks. Um, because again, you know, our premise is we want to celebrate organizers more. Uh, yeah. I love that you as an organizer immediately at, online were like, and so I really am glad to get this award, but I want to say that it's about my people. It's about, yeah. you know, I'm so shy. It's but fun, it's funny because I I think I I don't necessarily always present as a shy person, but I am very shy. I'm like bashful, <laughs> and um and so even just on the internet when you all posted the organizer of the month, I'm like turning. I'm in my house sitting on the couch and I was literally turning red. My husband's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "I just I think I just got an award." <laughs> And, uh, and, and someone else saw it and screenshot it and sent and texted to me like, this is so great. And I just, I'm so shy about that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, people say, give the flowers while someone is still alive. And I accept the flowers, but I am very shy about it. And, you know, I'd rather maybe someone just to me personally, um, but I, I do really appreciate it. It's such an honor to be, uh, to be given that award, especially it's been such a long you know, year almost since the start of the pandemic and having to figure out a way to organize, which is a very, a very much so uh, in person, like with your people um, in the South is that breaking bread and leaving that long organizing meeting and having a drink, you know, it's those things that keep you going as an organizer. And so um, there was a moment where I think a lot of us felt a little bit robbed of like our, our thing. Um, but you know, we've been able to bit by bit start chunking away at what it means. Like, how do we reimagine and rethink what organizing is, what it could be? And I think in fact, it's actually allowed us to expand our, a little bit, right? Like expand the conversations, um, and the fights and the, and the movements that we're organizing in. So, well, and, um, to your point, I think, I think a lot of organizers, <clears throat> I think one of the things that makes a good organizer is they are more interested in their volunteers and their staff yeah. and the people who organize under them. I think that makes a good organizer. Uh, but, you know, for me, celebrating organizers, um, the, the, you mentioned Ben Zucker, your, your former uh, yeah. co-organizer at Fight for 15. Um, I got an award from the Louisiana Democratic Party for organizing a couple years ago. And uh, it was in Baton Rouge. A bunch of people from New Orleans came up. Ben had really organized some people to attend that. Yeah. And, I, and I asked him at one point, you know, well, I appreciate your coming, but you know, like what's, what's the big deal for making the, the trek to Baton Rouge? And he said, well, organizers never get recognized. So when one of us gets recognized, we wanna be there to support it. And that really 
stuck with me where, you know, mm. well, maybe we should be more, organ- you know, more recognized. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it would be uh, a, a thing we could do is to just uh, flip that a little bit and make yeah, sure. That- it's very true. It's very true. You know, as an organizer, you get so used to being kind of in the background and like making like that because it's so nitty gritty right it's like making sure everybody gets there making sure everybody knows about a thing right making sure people feel empowered to like participate and be a part um there's a lot of like background things that happen and you know I think good organizers typically do hang out in the background more it's like less about like the moment that you get to get up and grab the megaphone right and it's more about like whose story right? Who's out here that's the like most impacted that should really be centered in this moment? Um, and I'm sure like, you know, if if Ben got an award, he'd be just as red and bashful as I was sitting at home. <laughs> because we're just, you know, it's just like that. Of, of Actually, you know, it, it really very much so. It's not about us as individuals. Um, uh, and it's just about the, the work and the people. Well, and even on uh, political campaigns, uh, you know, I've always called it field work in, in a political campaign. And right. um, that's what I came up doing in the political world is field work with the mm-hmm. Obama campaign. And even as uh, exalted of a, a thing as it was for that group, you know, Obama himself was a community organizer. Yeah, uh, it was still we were still low man on totem pole with all things political. And that's what it's been in every campaign. Of course. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just you're you're not thought of as the elite part of the campaign. The right? critical thing, right, that keeps the thing going. Yeah, I, I feel that. But then we get to a moment like we're in now where because we don't see field so much out front, because we don't know those organizers, we get a win in Georgia and people start asking, well, where are our Stacey Abramses or can Stacey Abrams come to Louisiana to organize yeah. here? And it's like, no, we have people doing that. We have yeah. rock star organizers here now that have been working. And uh, so I think part of it is just making sure folks know how to connect uh, to that, but also just know how to support the work that our organizers are doing. Yeah. Um, I've made the point elsewhere that you know, for the unanimous jury coalition and for the governor's race re-election in 2019, those organizers on the ground were critical to both oh of those yes. wins. And people may not have seen that. They might've gotten a knock on their own door, but they may not have known how widespread that effort really yeah. was. And those were cultural wins too. It's like, you know, and I think the same with Jason Williams, it's like, you know, when something is coming, like, because you know, it was like the culture, it, the organizing, yes, but a lot of the the organizing, especially in New Orleans and in Louisiana, it's so cultural. It's so personal to people, right? Like it is not unusual to walk into a step up meeting on Monday and have some red beans and rice and, you know, hear some second line music, brass band playing across the street. Like it's not unusual. It is a thing. It is like some of the allure factor is that, right? Like I know that I can go to this meeting and get a good meal and um, and shake some hands to people. Not right now when we get back free. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is that. And I think that those wins in particular really felt like they were when you when it, when you were getting close to election day, you were like, "We're gonna win this. We're gonna win this for sure." Because you know, my neighbor is talking about 
my neighbor who like never says anything about anything political is like, did you vote for Jason Williams? You know, or um, the person across the street is like, yes, on two. I've never seen this before, right? Anything political. But my neighbor has a, a yes on two sign in their front yard. That's Those are the moments when you know, the people who you like least expect or who, who have never really been super out front about, you know, voting or like political things, um, when those folks start really talking about it, when you see it on your timeline on Twitter, me who like follows a lot of young black non-organizing folks, non-political folks, um, when people are just like, yes on two, all up and down the timeline, you're just like, yes, this is gonna be, this is gonna secure the bag. This is gonna be the win. Nice. And you mentioned Step Up, Step Up Louisiana. Um, you're involved with them also. That's an organizing, that's a specifically organizing group. Yeah community organizing group. Uh, it's got uh, a chapter in New Orleans, a chapter in Baton Rouge. I assume the the idea of Step Up Louisiana is to spread out. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, there's been a ton of, Step Up's done a ton of work. I'm a board chair at Step Up and um, just, you know, from a couple years ago, it was like small and mighty, just getting started organization, but was made up of folks who have been doing and have been doing organizing work in Louisiana for a very, 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 very long time. Um, and really, you know, some of the most inspiring stuff was, uh, you know, things like the three-point platform, like really be holding our elected officials accountable to saying, yes, you know, as we are going up against preemption, like we're going to raise this minimum wage to $15 an hour. You know, we're going to, we support um, banning the box. We support equal pay for women. Um, and just that level of accountability, being able to stand outside on the steps of City Hall with a banner that's almost bigger than the building that says, these are the things we're holding you accountable to. And, and person after person coming out and saying, yes, you know, I will. And then, and then going behind the desk or behind the bench in city council and other places and actually advocating for those things and actually moving the needle um, forward is a, was a big deal, a, a really big deal for the people of New Orleans. Like we see all the time and have, have seen um, what the impact is when people aren't making a living wage. And we continue to see that today. Um, and so to be able to call on our elected officials by name and say, you know, you, you said this thing and we are here to hold you accountable and we're not going anywhere. Um, you had a three point platform that you were asking candidates to uh, pledge to, to support. Yeah. So you got a lot of candidates to support that. Uh, and then I just want to, for folks who may not be uh, as up on it as, as you are, Ban the Box is getting rid of uh, the box on an application, employment yep. application, where you have to say whether or not you have been imprisoned, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and um, what was the other thing? Preemption. Explain okay preemption. Oh, well, no, pre the preemption you mentioned, What? explain that to folks. Yeah. I mean, you know, essentially it, what it means in the plainest terms I can say is that even if we in New Orleans voted in a raise in minimum wage that like at the state level, they say we're not allowed to do that. Um, and so we have to even like if we voted in, if everyone went to the polls and the city council and the mayor and everybody was like, yes, we're going to do this thing. We're raising the minimum wage in New Orleans to $15 an hour. Um, and it was technically city law um, or city minimum wage. The state uh, in the state constitution, it uh, does not allow municipalities or cities um, to set a minimum wage. And so 
we would not be able to actually um, implement that. And that is very frustrating because uh, we should totally have the power in, in a place where we work and we pay taxes and we live. We should be able to say what our, our minimum wage is, particularly if we have the people power to move in that direction. Um, there's a lot of other things that are preemptive, but that's just- Right, and that's the big one that y'all are working on. Uh, yeah. it, it does seem having to, it's that state wanting to keep control of the cities and that's- yeah. really and and that is something that we see rampant across the South. It is a thing, right? Like it, people, states will retroactively preempt something like what we saw in, uh, in Alabama. Um, and it's not, it is very frustrating, um, but we know that the lack of value of labor, um, particularly the lack of value of labor of black and brown folks is um, connected to, to the history of slavery in, in the South. And, uh, that has spread all over the South. It has spread into other areas of the country. Um, and it is something that we really do have to stand up and organize against. We have to be sure that our, that the power and the decision lies with the people, the people who go to these jobs every day, the people who have families to support. No state should be able to tell us that we have to work for poverty wages. It's absolutely unacceptable. And uh, for white people like myself, there's a lot of learning and unlearning that has to be done. You have to keep the flexibility of mind, I think, to listen to folks who are, are saying things like you're saying right now, and then unlearn things that you've learned in your past to be able to kind of open up your mind to, to accepting, yeah. oh yeah, that's actually, that makes sense. The history of that makes sense. And mm -hmm. um, so- just wanted to point that out because uh, yeah. that to me has become a, a really big, not just learning things, but unlearning things has been a big, big part yeah. of my journey that I, I think is really important for those of us who are wanting to be supportive, need, yeah. to, need to focus on. Besides um, being shy, uh, what makes an effective organizer? Uh, well, being shy isn't one of the things. Uh, <laughs> I always have to, I have to really fight my shyness because of what you have to do to be a good organizer. Um, the number one thing is to listen. Like you just have to listen to people. Um, you have to ask some questions to get people talking sometimes, but you mostly just have to listen and have good solid conversations with folks. That's where any good organizing relationship I've had has started with like a chit chat. Um, you know, I remember uh, when I first started kind of formally organizing um, with Fight for 15, I would sit in my car outside of a McDonald's and I would really have to like give myself a pep talk. Like, come on, girl, just go in there and just talk to someone. Um, or sometimes it's just go in there and like, you know, check out, see what people are dealing with at work. Right. Like, yeah, that manager just, you know, didn't treat that that cashier nice at all. Or, you know, this cashier is running from behind the register to go to the parking lot and like sweep up doing like 20 jobs um, and making seven and a quarter. So uh, I would have to really work myself up to put away the shy part of myself and kind of just be personable with people um, and really just keeping it real. Like you just gotta be real. You gotta not be like, you know, code switching and, acting like somebody you're not and trying to be like all of these things, you just gotta be real. 
And you really just got to listen. Um, I think that that's what brings people in and connecting with people on real issues that like most of the people I talk to um, when organizing, and I'm, I'm going to just use 515 as an example. Most of the people I talked to, like the pay actually wasn't the issue. It was that they did not feel respected at work. And so I couldn't force that on them. Like, yes, this is called the campaign is fight for 15, but I can't force you to like actually be all about, hey, I want $15 as a minimum wage. But if you want dignity and respect in the workplace, you deserve that too, right? Like if you think you should be paid for being the custodian and the cashier, then yes, you should. Um, and so really just like listening, but you have to listen to people to hear that, to hear what their issue really is and not, you know, approach someone with your agenda, right? Of like what you think we should be fighting for. Um, because at the end of the day, I wasn't working at a fast food restaurant at the time, though I have in the past. I wasn't at the time. And so I could not tell someone what their issue could or should be. Right. Um, mothers were most concerned that, you know, they were they had crazy schedules and could never predict when they would need childcare. Um, that was the issue. It wasn't about seven and a quarter. Right. Um, and so I think those things make a good organizer, like just listening and just being yourself and like just keeping it a buck with people. Uh, I say a buck, 100, you know. <laughs> well, and I think I, I hear you say also being able to have a, le a level of empathy and caring for people mm -hmm. in the situations they're in. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of it, like, you know, a lot of it, like we can reflect and see in our own lives, too, or in, in that of people we love. And that allows us to really, like, lean into that, uh, that empathy. Um, I think also like, you know, being a good organizer is like thinking about the things that get people excited and bring people together and, and empower people to feel ready to fight. Right. And so, um, you know, here in New Orleans, like our strike lines look very different. Our actions look very different than a lot of other places. Um, we knew that, some good food and a bomb brass band would get everybody going. Every single person would come and say, yes, fight for 15. Like we need 15 as minimum wage. But those things were like entry points for people, right? And entry points to leadership don't always look like, you know, speaking at a rally or, you know, telling your story at a meeting. Sometimes that entry point is this warm meal or this this bomb second line that's going to bust through the French Quarter and through the front doors of a McDonald's, right? Like sometimes the entry point is those things. Is someone seeing that second line through their neighborhood and hopping off the bus and following it, don't know where it's going. Um, and those things are key too, like those cultural points that like really grab people at, at the heart, you know, and get people's feet moving and minds going and in community with each other um, is the real secret sauce. Oh, organizing. Yeah, I mean, the, the entry point is a really good point. You never know what's going to engage someone and, and get them involved in, in the work you're trying to do. And it's, as you said, you're not necessarily trying to get them 100% on board with everything you're looking to. You, you want them to fight for their dignity. And, yeah, and like well, at the end of the day, it's like, what is it that's the sticker for you? Like, what is it that is what is it that's your issue and how can we like rally behind you and get you that and, and like win that for our people? Um, because what a lot of times what one person is experiencing, someone else is too, whether they vocalize it or not. Um, and so really figuring out the ways those intersection points for um, the issues that folks are experiencing 
um, is super key to building that community of folks who like is ready and willing to take action on behalf of each other together on behalf of someone else. Right. Um, I think that's super important and thinking about leadership a little bit different of a way too. I think we um, sometimes too often lean on leadership to think about it as this like very forefront kind of thing. And there are a lot of ways that people can assume leadership responsibilities um, without that, right? Like whether it's like, you know, uh, a step up member who's like, I'm going to make the red beans and rice this week, you know, like, yes, feed the people um, or somebody who's going to do childcare during the meeting or um, the folks who call and make sure everybody knows what time the meeting is and send out those texts. Like all those are ways of leadership and we have to honor them the same. We should honor them the same um, so that people feel like their work is valued and is valuable to the fight that we're in and the movement that we're in. Um, and I encourage everyone to do that and to think about that and be intentional about that because far too often that's a missing piece of like just honoring the the work and contribution of every single person, even if it's just showing up, because showing up is hard sometimes. <laughs> right, right. And um, and I mean, I really like the way you're describing that because at the end of the day, part of what organizing is is building a the, the basic foundation of it is building yeah. relationships. And mm -hmm. um, the, the thing that I've always said because I've done campaign work, which is inherently it's by cycle. So, you know, you're switching who or what you're working for from yeah. cycle to cycle. And, but I've always said, you know, your relationships go with you uh, from one cycle to the next. You're not starting yep. from scratch. You've built those relationships and you should continue to nurture them and make sure they're good relationships. But that's, of course. that's what makes, you know, to me, part of organizing a good, a, what makes a good organizer is that you're, building and nurturing those relationships for the yeah, long Yeah, and it's beautiful, ain't it? You know, like I love, even now, you know, it's been three, three years since I organized Fight for 15 and I still, every now and again, like a fast food worker will call me like, Sav, my manager is playing with my schedule. What should I do? You know, and I just, I love that. I'm like, yes, let's get your schedule together. You know, let's hold these people accountable. They shouldn't be playing with your schedule. Um, and I love that. I love that, you know, you can walk in a room that might, or a Zoom at this point, that might be for a different thing um, and see some of the same people, right? Like, Linda, I've seen you at a Jason Williams thing. I've seen you at a Piper 15 thing. I've seen you at like a faith leaders thing, right? And uh, that's beautiful. It's beautiful when you can maintain the relationships with people, the folks in the community. And, and I think that's what makes a powerful movement, right? Like we build upon the relationships and it's like a wave. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually this thing is going to get big enough that we can take, take over. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So uh, for folks who are listening, if they're looking to plug in right now, um, what are ways you could suggest for them or, or, or how can they support your work and the, and the work that you think is really most valuable in the state? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say, I would send everyone over to stepuplouisiana.org and I would encourage you to check out, to subscribe to the website so that you can get the emails about all of the things that are upcoming. Um, Step Up is doing some incredible work. Um, Y'all know we've got a, a special election coming up for a congressional seat. 
We've got a lot of things that are about to happen, you know, legislative session, all kinds of things are coming up. And I would say that I really uh, trust Step Up Louisiana. And this is a, a non-biased, um, even though I have to be a little bit biased, but this is non-biased that I really do trust Step Up Louisiana to um, share information about not only what Step Up is doing, but about what other organizations are doing. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. I would encourage folks to seek out opportunities to do voter contact in this moment, right? Like there are a lot of people who don't know that we have a special election coming up or when the date is. Um, and so that education of just being able to share that information with people is gonna be crucial. Um, yeah, th that would be, I would send people right there, right there to stepuplouisiana.org and you'll get just about anything that you need about how to plug in in New Orleans, in Baton Rouge, but also abroad, right? Like um, we've got chapters in New Orleans and, and Baton Rouge, but Step Up is a statewide organization that is doing work in, in other municipalities as well. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I know you do focused work and then and there's legislative work as well. So that uh, trying to change the laws in Baton Rouge Mm -hmm. um, is certainly something everyone across the state should participate in with exactly. you. But I also know you do like pointed, uh, like you you make decisions to go uh, to different parts of the state when when there's a a moment that calls for y'all to be there. Yeah. Uh, and then you have relationships across the state with other organizations, so you can plug people in that way as well. Yeah, yeah, plenty of plenty of ways and places to plug in, but that's definitely a good starting point, particularly if folks aren't already involved in in something. And even if you are, right, like just being able to get that knowledge and being able to get access to um, all of the events and actions and other other ways to get involved, um, and that's certainly a good central hub to be able to do that for sure. And um, we talked a little bit about this uh, before the podcast, but. Uh... I love following following you on Instagram. You have such a rich family life, which is really what you focus on there more than your work. Yeah. Uh, your son is is what I call an Instagram, you know, rock star. My guy. Uh, but I, but I, it's nice to see that you have as an organizer, someone very dedicated to your work. Um, you also have that side of you as well. Yeah, you know, my son. I think I mentioned this earlier, but he's almost two. It'll be two in two weeks. His name is Roy Saint. Um, he is the light of my life. Um, he also runs my life in a very different kind of way now that he's a toddler. Um, and I just want to encourage any parent that is figuring it out right now, shout out to you because it is not easy. Uh, lean on your village, which is also hard right now because you try to limit contact with people as much as possible. My partner and I are both working full time and we're at home with this little one who demands so much attention. And I will say that it is it is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life uh, to parent a toddler during a pandemic and working full time. Um, but it is possible. And he is so cute, um, which really, really helps with my patience level that is very, very thin most of the time. Um, but yeah, I try to I try to maintain as much of a good work-life balance as I can. And mostly because at this point I have to, he is at home with us 24 seven. And, um, and that means that I have to have some sort of balance so that I make sure that he's fed three times a day and is not watching TV all day and all kinds of things. So uh, it takes a lot to do that. But um, also it just brings me joy, you know, to be able to cultivate this young person and 
um, unlearn a lot of, you said something about unlearning earlier and I relate with that because there's a lot of ways that I was parented. Love my parents, shout out to you, mom and dad. Um, but there's a lot of things that I want to do differently with my son. And um, so I have to unpack them while learning something new to practice with him. Um, and that is both a challenge and a blessing to be able to, to recognize that and to put it in action. So my premise here is that organizers are superheroes. And of course, we know that moms are superheroes too. So obviously that makes you a double superhero in our eyes. <laughs> so uh, thank you for the work that you do. Do you have a favorite, favorite superhero? Um, probably my mom, honestly, she's a boss. She, I don't know how she did it with four of us. I have just my one baby and I, every day I'm like, oh my God, this is so hard. Um, and my mom did this with four of us and she did it with grace and she kept us involved in the community and at school and all of the things. And she probably is certainly my superhero. I don't think I have like a, a, fix, a fictional superhero. I love that answer. I think you, you have I a great think My mom would take the cake against anyone I would choose anyway, so. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today um, and look forward to uh, seeing more of your work and hopefully connecting some people with you. Of course. Yeah, I'm happy, happy to be here. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for inviting me to be on and look forward to connecting soon. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for listening to Louisiana Lefty. You can connect to NAMA's work with Step Up Louisiana at stepupluisiana.org and follow them as well as Louisiana Lefty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please subscribe to our podcast and show us some love with a five-star rating. Thanks to Ben Collinsworth for producing Louisiana Lefty, Jennifer Pack of Black Cat Studios for our Super Lefty artwork, and Thousand Dollar Car for allowing us to use their Swamp Pop Classic Security Guard as our Louisiana Lefty theme song.